walking with Jesus, serving with love, and sharing with courage. Welcome to the PCOM Podcast. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm Pastor Courtney. So happy to be with you today on this Tuesday, if that's when you're listening or whatever day you are spending time with us here on the PCOM podcast. Our neighbors last week, our neighbors across the street, we live in this wonderful cul-de-sac full of just lovely, lovely neighbors. And our neighbors came over to our house and rang our doorbell um, and handed us a tin of cookies. And they said, Happy Nowruz. It is the Persian New Year, and we made these cookies, and we're bringing them around the neighborhood. Um, and we texted them a thank you. And then they texted us back a, you know, you're so welcome. We're just celebrating our, our spring spring New Year here, Persian New Year. And here's a video explaining what that is. And they sent us this, this video of Mickey Mouse explaining the Persian New Year, which was so lovely because... I didn't know anything about the Persian New Year. And, you know, I grew up in, in northern Wisconsin. We didn't have a big Persian community, but I so appreciated learning from them. And it it got me thinking about some of the ways we have done evangelism in the church over the years. This, I have this wonderful news. There's this wonderful story of Jesus. Let me share it with you. And I wanted to share some of the stories of how I was taught to evangelize as a child And some of the ways we are learning and growing as a church community about what thoughtful, healthy evangelism looks like. Because I think our neighbors, so they're celebrating Persian New Year, and people of many different faiths celebrate Persian New Year. It's not a religious holiday. It's the start of spring. Um, It comes around the time of the spring equinox, and it's a time of celebrating new life. And people who are, um, you know, Baha'i and Muslim and Christian and all sorts of different faiths celebrate the Persian New Year in in the Middle East. But it really got me thinking about how we share our Christianity and particular things about our heritage and our faith and our culture with each other. So first, a few difficult stories, uh, how, how not to evangelize. Um, when I was a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, I was part of, of a youth group at a wonderful church, but it was the era of knock-knock evangelism. It was the era of gotcha evangelism. It was the era of um, your neighbors are wrong. You need to tell them why. Here are some strategies for doing that. And here are a few examples of things that I did. And some of these were led um, and encouraged by my particular church. Some were camps I was a part of or youth group events that I was a part of. So I, I am not pointing fingers here at the particular church in which I was raised. It was part of this larger evangelical culture that felt the pressure of telling our neighbors about Jesus. And I think feeling that urgency is a good thing. We we have the words of life. Peter says in scripture, Jesus, you have the words of life. Where else would we go? And our world is is dying in hopelessness, in cynicism, in fear, in anxiety, and the gospel breathes the life of Jesus into these dark places. So I think the urgency is good. 
But some of the methods were a little suspect. So here were some of the things. We went to a rodeo in town our youth group, and we went around to people and we said, hi, my name is so-and-so. Do you know the Ten Commandments? And this is such a gotcha question because I think for most people in our congregation, and even for me, if you pressed me and spontaneously said, can you name all Ten Commandments? I think I'd get to nine and my memory would just go blank. And I would forget that you know, there's the the do not envy is thrown in there or do not murder because that one just seems obvious to me. Why do we need a commandment? We should just know not to murder each other. And what happened was it it took us into these real, really uncomfortable conversations with people who were just trying to watch a rodeo. Do you know the Ten Commandments? And some of them would say, sure. And then we'd say, well, can you name them? And then they'd try and inevitably they'd get to two or three or seven or eight or nine and and not remember and then it would be this awkward moment. And then we'd try to spin it into, well, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And people were trying to watch a rodeo. And there was no relationship there. These were not people we knew. We were well-intentioned, very earnest teenagers going up to adults who were traveling through town to, to be part of this rodeo and didn't know us. There was no relationship. There was no follow-up. And the conversations, by and large, went pretty badly. Most people were, were polite about it. They saw that we were kids. And they didn't know who would put us up to this. But what didn't happen was anyone saying, you know, I'm so thankful for these conversations, and I I think I want to follow Jesus because you put me on the spot with the Ten Commandments. And so we left, but we didn't feel discouraged. We felt prideful. We felt all these people have rejected the gospel, and that's on them. And that, too, was its own sort of problem. That's the first story. Second story, I I attended an evangelical camp when I was a kid, and and I say kid, but I was, you know, 15, 14, 15 years old. And they bust us to the grocery store. And we went to this grocery store in this unfamiliar town with people that we didn't have any sort of pre-existing relationship with. And we went through the grocery store and interrupted people who were trying to buy lettuce or milk or bread and said, do you know where you're going when you die? And most people kind of brushed us off and found polite ways to get out of this conversation because they didn't know us and they were just trying to do their grocery shopping. A few of them were quite rude. But what didn't happen was anyone say, you know, I think I want to follow Jesus because you have accosted me in the cereal aisle. And again, we got back on the bus and I felt very prideful. Everyone in this grocery store today has rejected Jesus and that's on them because I'm doing my job to try to fulfill the Great Commission. And perhaps you're seeing a pattern here. The pattern is there's no relationship. There's no connection. I wasn't asking questions to get to know someone, to see how they were doing, to find out what was going on in their life and how I could connect with them that way. I was asking gotcha questions. And then I was prepared with all of the right answers for this person whom I'd never met. This used to be part of how evangelism was encouraged. And my, my, my microcosm of you know, the Christian world as a, as a teenager may not have been yours. You may have experienced stories like this very differently. And I know there is at least one person in our church who came to faith because someone knocked on her door 
and said, do you know where you're going when you die? And she said, I really don't. And the person said, well, come to my church. And she did. And that was the beginning of decades of deep faith in Jesus Christ that continues to this day. I'm not saying it doesn't work. My own grandmother, part of the faith heritage of my family, became a Christian because on the school bus one day, a little grade school girl sat next to her when she was seven or eight years old and said, I just want you to know that you're going to hell. She said, I don't want to go to hell. And the girl said, well, let me tell you how to find Jesus. I'm not saying these methods don't work. What I am saying is the more we learn about evangelism and about psychology and about sociology and how people work, and the more we just think, what would work for us? What would, what would entice me into learning more about the Christian faith if I didn't know anything about it to begin with? The more we are learning that relationship is paramount. Relationship is paramount. Accosting strangers in the grocery store will almost never be as effective as getting to know our actual, literal, physical neighbors. In his book, Joining Jesus, Greg Fink writes about how our neighborhoods are our primary mission field. And this means your your literal physical neighbors, the people who live on either side of you and across the street and down the street from you, but also your neighborhoods are places where you regularly encounter other people and can have conversations and form relationships. So for me, that's the school pickup line where I see the same parents day after day after day. For me, that's the donut store that I visit probably more often than I should, but I know everyone's name and they know mine. For me, my neighborhoods are the grocery store that I visit regularly, the families on the soccer sidelines, the people in my writing communities. We have regular overlap, regular conversation. And so Greg Fink writes about how Spreading the love of Jesus is as simple as getting to know our neighbors and loving them with the love of Jesus. And when we think about how Jesus loved, it wasn't with any particular agenda in mind. It wasn't, I'm going to love you and then you will come to this worship service with me. It was, I just love you because God loves you. I just love you because you are a person who is worthy of love, created in the image of God with dignity and worth. And as we begin to love our neighbors with the love of God, that means developing an interest in them, valuing the things that they value, understanding why those things are important to them. Learning, for me, learning about Persian New Year. What is it? What does it mean? How can I celebrate with them? How next year, when we reach March 20th or March 21st, it's one of those holidays that can move around a little bit. As far as I understand, I'm still learning about it. Can I make sure I wish them a happy new year? and reach out to them with that connection. They wished us a Merry Christmas. We can wish them a Happy New Year. And the beauty of this is it's natural. It's easy. Even for those of us who are introverted, it's it's easy to begin building these simple relationships based in kindness, based in listening, based in learning. And God will use these relationships because when people are hungry for the things of God, we don't have to force it. We simply have to be ready for when a question comes. In the New Testament, we are told to be prepared to have an answer for those who ask us about the hope that we have. And that's so different than accosting people with questions about the Ten Commandments is living out our faith in front of people, which doesn't mean we're always happy even when bad things happen, but it means we are living according to these deeper rhythms of hope and faith 
and peace and the love of Jesus. And that is a unique call to evangelism. In many ways, it's easier. It's more natural. In other ways, it's harder because it was pretty easy to go and chat with people at the rodeo and then get in the bus feeling all high and mighty and drive away. It was pretty easy to go to the grocery store and ask people these gotcha questions and then drive away feeling pretty full of pride. But what's hard can be putting ourselves out there over time, building relationships, being present, and committing to loving our neighbors as Christ loves them. And that means our difficult neighbors. That means our easy neighbors. That means being prepared to talk about Jesus if the invitation, if the opportunity arises, which doesn't mean we're going to force it. But when someone's going through crisis and they say, I feel so hopeless, I saw you lose a loved one last year and you you didn't seem to fall into this, this deep well. What's different? What do you have that I don't? What gives you hope? I want this hope. These conversations can happen when we are open, when we are available to God, and when we are in regular prayer for our neighbors and for our community. I've heard more often than once within our congregation that we need to do missions overseas because everyone in the United States has had a chance to learn about Jesus, to follow Jesus, and they have rejected Jesus, and that is on them. And I want to suggest that that's a very similar attitude to the one I had when I was doing this 1980s, 1990s evangelism as a, as a child and a teenager, that anytime we're starting to feel superior to our neighbors, to feel any tinges of hatred toward them because they haven't accepted Jesus, found Jesus, started walking with Jesus, that something is off. Because Jesus, time and time again, reaches out to the world with compassion, not superiority, with kindness, not arrogance. And the fact is that most people in America have heard something about Christianity, have heard something about Jesus, but that's not always the same thing as a clear and kind and consistent presentation of the gospel lived out through faithfulness and kindness and tenderness. I, I encountered a, a woman in graduate school who, in the middle of one of our class discussions, it, it became clear that I was a person of faith, that I was a Christian. And she pulled me aside after class and she said, Courtney, you're, you're a Christian. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, huh, but you're actually kind of smart. And I said, thank, thank you. <laughs> I thought a lot about the words kind of, <laughs> kind of smart. And then she said, I always thought Christians were like circus freaks, but you're actually kind of smart. I'm going to think about that for a while. And this was a woman who was born and raised in, in the Chicago area and no doubt had encountered lots of Christians, but had this stereotype in her mind and in her heart where she didn't realize Christians could be smart or thoughtful or kind. These things that I worked to model in this graduate school program, this is not seminary, this is my my secular English literature graduate, graduate degree. And I think that's true of so many of our friends and neighbors. They haven't met Jesus because they've been shown a stereotype of what Christianity is or what the media says Christianity is or the red versus blue Christianity or the politics is Christianity rather than people who love Jesus and are seeking to follow him and love our neighbors as ourselves. 
And I see this type of evangelism all over our church community, people who are loving and serving at Viejo as tutors in the community garden, people who are loving and serving at Sunrise. And these are some of our our official mission partners, but even more than that, the stories I hear of people who throw a block party, who have a barbecue and invite their neighbors, who find out a neighbor is grieving and bring over a meal and just sit and listen. This is the work of the gospel, my friends. That when we continue to plant these seeds and water these seeds, God will open up paths for conversation, for listening, for learning, and for walking together toward Jesus. And it relieves so much of the pressure of, I was walking around that rodeo pressuring people to make a faith decision in the five minutes I had with them, and that's so often not how God works. Amy Carmichael was a British missionary to India, and she tells the story of, as a child, walking past a stone quarry with her father and watching these stone workers beat one stone against another to break down the larger stone. And they would beat the stone and beat the stone and beat the stone and beat the stone, and finally the stone would crack. And her father said, which, which percussive moment broke the stone? And Amy said, well, it was the last one. And he said, absolutely not. It was every single hit of stone against stone was part of breaking that stone apart. And I think the same is true of our hearts. When our hearts are hard toward our neighbors, toward God, it may take 20, 30 years of the love of Jesus and repeated conversations and listening and questions before our hearts are soft and ready to say yes to the invitation that Jesus offers So be of good hope, my friends, be of good courage, be of good faith, and continue to follow Jesus into your neighborhood as you go about your days, showing his love and his mercy and his grace. God is at work in and through the people of PCOM. It gives me tremendous hope as we turn toward toward Holy Week and all of the sacred days of Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday to remember that ultimately the work is the Lord's and we are partners in the vineyard and God will guide and guard. Until next time, my friends, thank you for being with us on the PCOM podcast today. I look forward to celebrating Holy Week with you. Monday, Thursday has a 7.30 p.m. service. There's a Holy Week concert on Good Friday at noon and a Good Friday awake service at 7.30 Join us for some or all of those as we prepare for the great celebration of Easter on April 9th. Till then, dear friends, go in peace. 